I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today I have my good friend Andrew Ramondi back on the podcast as we talk all things NBA. And what a season it was for Toronto Raptors to close it out. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to Fred Van Vliet, Kawhi Leonard, Drake, all the people up north in Canada. Um... Obviously, we saw all the scenes, and it seemed like they were extremely, extremely happy with the win, obviously. And it was just an incredible series, even though Clay Thompson gets injured in that game, tears his ACL. Kevin Durant kind of hobbled and then ends up coming back in Game 5 and then tears his Achilles. So there's a lot of question marks going into the NBA offseason. And I think that was highlighted by the big, big news on the Anthony Davis trade going to the L.A. Lakers. Um, And we break all that down in this podcast. So we talk about all the legacy stuff that the Warriors kind of leave because of this five-year run. Then we talk about Anthony Davis going to the Lakers and all the trade ramifications and the off-season ramifications for all of these different free agents um, that are coming up. And then we also talk about Toronto and what this means for them and what this championship means to them as a franchise, as a city, and then as a country. So thanks again for listening, and let's give my buddy Andrew a call. Hey Kev, uh, good to be good to be hearing from you, man. Hey Andrew, so thanks for coming on to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. And it's I don't know, it's been I always say this, and you always make fun of me for it. And no, it's it's this, pretty much justified this time, if yeah. any. So so it's been a crazy crazy week um, in terms of. We had everything, injuries, finals, and then um, injuries in the finals, all the drama that took part in the finals. And then we also had all the, like, all the things in the NBA offseason kind of came together yesterday. We're recording this on a Sunday night, and everything came together with that Anthony Davis trade. But we'll get into that, into more of that later. Um, in the podcast, but what we did want to do today is kind of touch upon the finals, give us a, give our thoughts on it. We obviously previewed the finals. What was it like two weeks ago now? Yeah. And it seems like our predictions were just a tiny bit off because we both didn't get uh, predict the winners at all. Toronto ended up taking it in six. And I don't know what, like, I guess generally what I wanted to ask you was, what did you what did you gather from like the results of how the finals ended up turning out Kawhi kind of guiding Toronto to their first championship going crazy yeah man it's funny because well I I think it's also a couple things are coming to mind first I'll start here though 
when because we were we're doing this over the phone as anyone who's listening can probably tell and we we uh i i had a little bit of time to kill before we were uh before we were gonna before while i was kind of waiting through the call and i was listening a little bit i was like i'd be interested even though it was only two weeks ago i was like let me listen to like our finals you kind of a little bit and see like what matches up and what doesn't and i mean there are some interesting things like you're talking about van vliet and stuff like that and like kind of needing that scoring punch and blah 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 and i'm like oh that happened but it's so funny even beyond like being wrong about picking who is going to going to win which is fine like i it's okay i'm i'm happy about it to some extent being wrong in this situation um and i certainly believe the raptors have a chance to win but anyway what i was taking from it it just like this finals and i we said it as it was happening it was so difficult to talk about because there were so many like weird moving parts in terms of kd and cousins and all this other shit so and I was just listening and we're talking about these certain things like, I don't know, like we're talking about like the Curry Draymond pick and ro- roll and it's like how things went just feels like so, you know what I mean? Like it feels like things took such a turn in so many ways that like it's hard to even look back on it and be like, what did we get right and get wrong? Because so it was so unpredictable, but it was so much, so much of that unpredictability was about things like, uh, beyond the the court you know what I mean like right, other than like right. the box in one and stuff like that that old like tactical kind of things that will be remembered which I feel like there always are in the finals but even those were due to injuries kind of you know what I mean right and I think everything like even our finals predictions and I think whenever you're making finals predictions it's like you're basically taking all the information that is available to you and then making your prediction based off of that information. And there were so many variables that ended up uh, popping up during the finals with uh, Katie's injury and whether or not he was going to come in, come back and play ended up coming back. And then obviously tearing that um, Achilles gets it repaired and then clay in the middle of games or at the end of game six and, in the fourth quarter, tearing his ACL, knocking down those two free throws. Those two injuries are just things that you really, it's really hard to account for when making a prediction. Um, and when, when making those predictions, you're just kind of like, all right, if this goes according to plan, or if they, they all stay healthy, this is what I think is going to happen. So it's, it, it was just tough to even predict all of those types of things that were going to happen, but I thought some, like, and I think what's a little bit unfortunate is that I wonder if the narrative coming out of these finals is not that Toronto's title is tainted in any ways, but it's, there's kind of like this wondering of if the Warriors that were at full strength, what this series would look like. Yeah, there is some of that, not as much as I kind of thought, that you know what I mean, just from like, right, right, right. your NBA Twitter and your first takey people, there wasn't so as much talk about that as I would have thought. I mean, although it definitely is true, it definitely is a valid thing to say. What I thought more kind of, what I thought actually is kind of dominated it more, and why I almost not feel bad for the Raptors, but like 
looked overshadowed because their quality of play throughout the whole series was incredibly high. The whole the whole series, pretty much, other than a few isolated games. I mean, the two games I, I, you know, this was something I kind of pointed out to you as we were going into Game Six. Not that I'm the one who discovered it, but I was like, in the two games the Raptors lost, they basically just shot terribly from three. Other right. than that, they were playing so well, and there were times where, like, I'm just thinking about our text exchanges during games, and to be sure, even beyond. Whether it was the during the post injuries or or not to Clay or whoever, there were moments where the Warriors looked really really good. And one of those games, uh, one of those games, game two is when when the Warriors won probably their most convincing. And then, but for the most part, even when the Warriors were playing their best, like Toronto never um, like lost touch, you know what I mean? Like, they were right there pretty much the whole time, even when the Warriors were playing at their best, even though obviously injuries and other things went into play. But the thing I wanted to say about, like, overshadowing, it's everything's so connected. The injuries are so connected to free agency. You know, it's so, like, it's hard to overstate the, like, I feel like it's something that just hasn't, it's almost a weird, surreal thing to be like, KD is not going to play next year. Like the top free agent, like, yeah, the, like the, maybe of all time. Like, you know what I mean? This was maybe one of the most heavily anticipated free agency since like LeBron left Cleveland for Miami. You know what I mean? And like, it's just like he's not playing next year now, which is it's it's just wild. But anyway. So the thing about that injury is because it's so connected to the future of the league going forward, game six the other night when, you know, it ends and the confetti's coming down and all that's happening, all me and you, like, want to talk about as, like, two huge fans of the NBA and, like, watching basketball, you know, we like to talk about the other stuff, but we also just like basketball. All we kind of wanted to talk about was free agency, and that was, or that was just, like, the first thing that came to mind. So... As much as the Warriors, there is stuff to unpack about the Warriors' legacy. It is, I am fascinated by the idea that, like, if this is kind of it for whatever reason, like, if they never reach these heights again, whether it's with KD or without KD or what have you, the fact that it's injuries that did them in is, is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, yeah, I was rambling yeah. a little bit. But the point I was trying to, but, you know, it's hard because the the what happens in terms of the injuries is so connected to like the stuff we're intrigued by that it's hard not to get a little distracted by that. It would have been hard even if there were no injuries, but right. I like, I, right. And I think the thing about that was like, if there were no injuries that ended up happening during the game the, or during that series, then I think it would just kind of be this like ominous cloud that's, overhanging this series kind of Mm -hmm. people would be like alluding to it you know like Mike Green's alluding to it possibly like you know every like once in a while throughout the games and like first takes kind of like maybe once like out of all their subjects that they're going through it's one at one of their subjects but yeah for sure but since like these injuries were so like Katie's injury was obviously this thing that um, hung over the series, the whole series, and then when he actually injures that Achilles, like 
there's all the all the narratives about whether or not Golden State were were negligent in letting him play, all that type of stuff. And then once Clay gets injured with a, a serious injury and all the fallout of that, it was tough not to be like, all right, these injuries definitely were the forefront of all the narratives. And yeah, I think that kind of the damper on things to to for sure you know that game five was so incredible and like after it it was almost like the game even katie gets hurt and goes out and you see on twitter kind of this like shot of basically his achilles like rolling up like a fucking lampshade you know what i like oh (laughs) what is that called the the thing when the the map that the history teacher pulls down and you can just like let it roll up and spin yeah you know you see that but the game was just so goddamn good that you kind of like it's like you know getting hurt like turning your ankle but you're so you know into the game that you don't realize it hurts until until you stop playing or whatever right Um, i think sorry yeah Yeah, no that i go ahead yeah, no, and I was going to just say, like, I think I texted you after game five, like, oh, the KD injury is obviously unfortunate, but I think, like, Golden State's going to win game six and then push yeah. it to seven. And they probably, and, and of, you made a great point to me that it's just important to remember, like, if Clay gets hurt, doesn't get hurt, like, the momentum of that game was definitely, you, no one can say what was going to happen, but it was definitely trending in favor of Golden State. Right, and I think when he got hurt, that he shot the two free throws. I think they were up four or six with, like, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, eight or nine minutes left. But it seemed like like Golden State, and I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast, where Golden State played well, but Toronto stayed with them regardless of how well Toronto was playing. Even if they're shooting bad or from three, they would get to the line um, – and I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of interesting, really intricate basketball things to talk about in this series, just like what Toronto, like Toronto was getting a lot of second chance opportunities yeah. for some, for some reason, like the turn, the turnovers that Golden State were committing, it seemed like we're at the most inopportune times um, down the stretch, like you just kind of see them be careless with the ball and you're like, Oh man, that's kind of like a momentum killer, um, for them there. And there was this kind of, and I think this was like one of the first times where I thought golden state wasn't able to dictate. And maybe that was partly because of their injuries, but wasn't able to dictate with their, um, five guys on the court. Um, the other, the other opponents um, start or other opponents, like um, I guess like players that were on the court. So I just felt like golden state throughout this run, they were always able to play like that death lineup. Um, yeah. You know, the Hamptons five lineup and kind of just control the game, control the pace um, with their speed, with their quickness, with their versatility and Toronto was just able I just felt like Toronto always had control of the game regardless of if they're up or down it just seemed like they're playing through Kawhi for some reason Fred Van Vliet was like one of their bigger playmakers and like had the ball in his hand like and this is what I was amazed with in game six and now I'm rambling too but like in game six when Fred Van Vliet down the stretch they were playing pick and roll through him yeah and 
and basically just going after DeMarcus Cousins. And that's, I just felt like the matchups became more and more favorable throughout the series for Toronto as the series went on. Yeah, and that it's hard to disaggregate that stuff from the injuries, you know? Like mm-hmm. Looney, possibly. Looney, who, I mean, it, it, what it's a hard to overstate. He's just like, what, what did you say? I, I said, what a warrior that guy was. Yes, no, for sure. But, like, and even it's funny, you know, people might be like, oh, come on, like, Looney getting injured. I mean, like, to some people probably just felt like the kind of icing on the cake type thing. But, like, having him in there and being effective and being able to switch defensively and stuff like that as opposed to DeMarcus Cousins. And that is something I always I always tried to make a point to mention when we were talking about DeMarcus Cousins coming back from the Warriors was, like, Listen, the, he is like out of any player who's going to play like possibly significant minutes for them, not knowing that they were going to have so many other injuries and that all these other guys would have to play. I mean, you had Jarebko on the stretch in, the, in game six. Game six, the end of that, like when you were describing Van Vliet and the pick and roll and stuff, the end of game six had like the feel of like a college game. You know what I mean? Like a mm. like a final four game or something where it's where it's just like these teams both like really exhausted like maybe certain guys not playing that well and you're just kind of grinding it out to try and get those couple more baskets and yeah, totally. you know you're just trying to go with whatever works like Kawhi was weirdly I mean obviously he was he had that he had yeah. yeah exactly obviously Kawhi had that kind of like what would have and still probably is kind of like a historic little Teno run in that game five. Uh, but down the stretch, like you would have been expecting it to be like Kawhi going ISO, but no, it wasn't. It was this, this pick and roll stuff. And I always said that I thought DeMarcus Cousins, like for all he could theoretically bring to a Warriors team, like the problem with him is in that system is that normally in a Hampton's five type lineup, you really have nowhere to go. Whereas Cousins gives you kind of a, pl- a guy to, to to pick at you you know what I mean, right. so anyway, and, I don't know if anyone cares about any of that stuff, but uh, the point I know, is right? he wouldn't. Have, the reason he was in there and they needed him in there, and he made he just made so many little mistakes down the stretch in that game. That I feel like people kind of let it let it go, and I don't I don't blame them for doing that. You know, it's hard, important to remember that this is a guy who is coming back from a quad injury and really just had to try and reintegrate himself in, in a tough situation, but looked almost like sort of unplayable at times. But this is all connected to the injuries and stuff like that. One other point I wanted to make, because I really liked what you were saying about kind of Golden Toronto being in control, and I was contrast that with like my Blazers getting swept by this Golden State team kind of. It looks crappy in hindsight, but – I think it just goes to show you like the value of Toronto's ability to one defend. I mean, they're just, they're such a high level defensive team. And I think they showed it all throughout the series, even in moments where maybe they were getting lit up a little bit compared to Portland, who was basically an average team. And I think Golden State even like definitely showed the ability, whether it was against Portland or Houston to still be able to kind of blow teams out of the water, even without KD. But, uh, you know, Toronto showed an ability to, with the pace of their offense and kind of all that, there were so many moments, especially early on in the series, where, like, 
things just felt so frenetic. And, like, normally it's teams trying to catch – you know what I mean? Like, the team, the team playing Golden State feels, like, desperate and they need to score on every possession. But so many times it felt like kind of the reversal of that, where Golden State was, like, needing to basically hit every shot to, to just keep pace. But it's hard to, you know – determine how much of that was Toronto's greatness and I think it was a lot of it and how much was kind of injuries and the Warriors being shorthanded and things of that nature but at the end of the day it's important to remember that this is part of it last year Kyrie uh not Kyrie Irving but you know last year you had Kevin Love being injured you had Kyrie being injured in in certain series uh certain final series going back like at the end of the day that's part of it no, twenty seven, fifteen, I believe. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, and I think injuries are definitely a part of it. You just, I mean, and that's why you build the depth of a team. Obviously, when you have a chance to get a player like Kevin Durant, you're going to take it and try to sacrifice, obviously, some ancillary pieces to acquire a player like that. But then once those players get down, the the I guess the drop off from someone like Kevin Durant to the next guy let's say Alfonso McKinney is going to be a significant drop and it's going to be noticed. And there's things that you can't do with a lineup that includes Alfonso McKinney um, compared to Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant was the one a option for the Warriors all season long there. I think some of their, um, I think I read a stat somewhere where KD's, isolations and his like pick and roll offense was like two of the most um, played offensive sets that Golden State ran um, throughout the regular season. So he was clearly the, the probably the most important offensive player for them, even though they had um, prolific shooters like Curry and, and clay. And that's kind of why this team works so well, because you could kind of just um, have KD take the ball and, isolate or do his thing and if he was late in the shot clock kick it over to curry kick it over to clay and they could just shoot the ball and more more times than not it would go in and like i think a lot of it i think i think there's a couple different narratives that we could kind of pull out um i guess like i guess from a higher level point of view like what you think about the warriors legacy as a whole because I think this might be the end of the chapter, especially with all the speculation of KD possibly going to New York Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, I don't know what what other teams you want to name, but there's a bunch of other, there's a bunch of speculation that he's leaving um, Golden State. So I was wondering like what you think about the Warriors possible legacy after this five year type of run. And I guess like what you think about some of the narratives coming out of the finals, like did clay raise his profile? Because despite the injury, like throughout the series, he pretty much kept golden state afloat with the the shooting that he had. I think he was shooting like 55% from three or some ridiculous number like that. Um, I think there was a, also a narrative where Curry, Curry was kind of like they flashed that over seven like go ahead shots um, yeah. w- within the la- or within the last two minutes of the game um, for Curry and it became over eight when he missed that three to go ahead in game six. 
So is there this idea whether Curry's a clutch type of player? I don't know if that's like first take here or not, but that's probably another narrative. And then kind of like what what do you do with like this aging roster um, if you do end up trying to re-sign Clay and KD? Because like you were saying at the top of the podcast, if you resign both of those guys and they decide to return, that's significant cap space allocated to those two players for the next year who aren't going to be playing for you. And Clay maybe might come back but if they make a playoff run, but it kind of looks dire for them. And I'd be kind of interested to see what the odds are um, out of Vegas for this team for next year. Like I've heard a lot of different prognosticators kind of talk about maybe them being a six, seven, eight, maybe a fifth seed in the West because of all these injuries. Um, And it it really hampers. And I think this is one of the points that I want to make is it really hampers their ability to make moves if they do re-sign those two guys. And I think they would be ultimately happy to re-sign both of them because of what they've brought to Golden State throughout the years. But for next year only, it's going to really hamper what they're able to bring in, especially guys off the bench. And it's, it could get very ugly um, next year, especially with just uh, Curry and Draymond. I don't know what what's realistic for a team like that. Well, and the uh, you know actually I'll take things one at, at, a, at one thing at a time here. I'll kind of try and and take what you said and go in order with it. I actually wanted to start with one thing. Obviously, the ability for this Warriors team to throw the ball to KD and just say go get a bucket. It's obviously that's like was the ultimate luxury and not necessarily the things of their team. But I just like you saw that kind of at the end of game six a little bit, like for all of Curry's greatness, like, and we were both lamented kind of the way things went down. I know you and I both wanted to see just throw the ball to Curry at the top of the key and have him kind of could blow by Fred Van Vliet for a bucket or whatever. But, you know, the just like that complimentary kind of effect of like KD, just theoretically, you want KD one-on-one in isolation to go get a bucket as opposed to Curry doing it. Like as great as Curry is, and he can take people off the dribble and stuff like that. His one-on-one, like you don't think of him as like an isolation player. You think of him as a player who thrives in coming off pick and rolls and kind of that or the weird, like, little Draymond setting, which is kind of what they went with. It's funny, like, in that late-game situation, they almost, like, mimicked, like, uh, what would happen during, like, 15 seconds into a possession, you know? You could basically mm-hmm. kind of get the ball to Draymond, and he does that thing where he's kind of setting the pick and throwing it to, to Curry at the same time. Three, right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. In terms of the, the Curry clutch stuff, like uh, – it's kind of just like a big – it would have been fun to I, – I said the one thing I lamented about – I think once Clay got hurt, I was kind of ready for the series to end. I didn't really – I it just felt like, all right, the Raptors have earned this and, like, I, I'm ready to kind of see them win. But what would have been interesting was, like, had that game got – had that gone to a game seven and the idea was, like, it's Curry, like, it's the guy who kind of started it all, like, and mm-hmm. he has to take, you know what I mean? Like, he right. has to, he has the chance to basically 
solidify his legacy. But I think the thing is, it's hard for me to buy into it that much because they've had so much success overall that, like, how much can everyone do? I think I agree with you that, like, the guy who comes out of this looking incredibly for for what happened and how, unfortunately, end is Clay, I think he's low-key, like, moved himself up on that list of, like, all-time clutch guys. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, Like, totally. the guy just – going back to that, that game six in Oklahoma City, obviously, like, game six Clay was trending on Twitter and stuff like that. But just, like, his ability – you know, but because of that, I'm going all over the place. I think, you know, whatever, just Clay pretty much has – I, in every big game, he plays really, really well. That's that's the point I was trying to make, and I think that that gets lost a little bit. Like he, I think now, like I just think he's kind of underratedly like, and he doesn't have necessarily like those iconic moments necessarily. But I just think like when I think about the great playoff players from this era, you think of I'm going to think of Clay Thompson when I think of this Warriors team, but. The point I was kind of trying to get to by talking about that roundaboutly was, like, can you fault Steph for, like, not having to do that as much? You know what I mean? Not right. having to put the team on his back as much. Not having to, like, take the, you know, be in the moment. Like, the fact that they've had multiple ways of doing that, you can't really fault him for doing that. And... Also, the point, I, the kind of thing I'm also trying to get at by saying that is, if you contrast him with someone like Damian Lillard, for example, so okay, Steph's 0 for 8 all time playoff, whatever. Like Damian Lillard's probably like two for, or like four for like 23. The just amount of attempts you get, and the amount of kind of moments you have, like or take take somebody like Kobe. When it's mm-hmm. your, when it's your, you're gonna be taking the shot no matter what, or you're gonna be faced with that burden no matter what. The successes become much more highlighted, and kind of the failures are less. Uh, there's less scrutiny on them because, like, you've done it before, you do it every time, and like you're gonna be willing to live with the result. Whereas for Curry, like, it just hasn't happened so much. So for me, like, his legacy is, is on solid footing. He was statistically very efficient throughout the series as the whole. He play, On the whole, he played very well on the whole. But, uh, you know, next year will be interesting in that regard uh, because, like, you're going to kind of have to see him be, like, you know, a Damian Lillard type guy where it's, like, more on, on his shoulders. And that'll be kind of fascinating to see, especially as he enters this late stage of, of his career. Now, to move on to kind of the, the, the question marks going forward and, like, what do you make of the legacy? I think it's also TBD because even if KD leaves and Clay and Draymond come back and uh, – Next year, even if they're like a seven seed or whatever, and they don't do like it's kind of a lost season, that you still have that you then then Draymond comes up and you you know what I mean? I'm not ready to close yeah. the book yet until they're actually not on a team together anymore. Is kind of the point I was trying to make. Now beyond that, though, thinking about next year, uh, and I was saying this to you after the finals kind of in a different way, but I think the chances of KD coming back are now higher than they were before. I just think there's more of a 
desperation on the side of the Warriors to kind of get him back now and to kind of maybe, although you wouldn't have him next year, but like the idea of maybe having that, I don't know, the word isn't stability, but to have the, to not close the book on it in such a awkward and kind of what if way, you know what I mean? To at least have the chance that the band may be back together at some mm. point in the future, I think is more important now because, and that's the way, you know, these NBA dynasties don't always end in a very tidy way, but, uh, and I, it's very possible. It doesn't happen here, but the other point I wanted to make, I'm not doing a great job of, of, uh, illustrating everything here. Also, if Katie walks, that cap space is gone pretty much just based on the, their ability to kind of get him and their genius and kind of structuring deals mixed with like their walk in kind of the timing of cap spikes and stuff like that. But they're like what they were able to get him now kind of comes back where as if they lose him, it's not like they can just lose him and then go off and like sign five bench guys for like five million or whatever they're no. over the cap and like when they leave like when if if and when kd leaves they'll be an over the cap team still pretty much assuming they like bring that clay on a max deal right. so i think if you're the warriors now you're you may as well go all in and you know go back to the Hamptons and have K, uh, and have Draymond crying in the parking lot sending desperate texts or what have to you. KD <laughs> saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean what I didn't mean that from earlier this season. Yeah. yeah totally. So anyway, that, that kind of, I think that there's more of a high level of desperation. Whereas like if they won without him or, you know, things go slightly differently. Maybe even if they lose and they're still playing, there can kind of just be more of a like, all right, this chapter's over. It's time to move on. Whereas this kind of left so many loose ends, so many loose ends dangling. And now, you know, maybe KD and the, the other side of it is like, maybe KD's, uh, maybe this kind of, we can reshape his perspective in some way. And the early, initial reporting is that it hasn't changed how, the, you know, like from the Rich Kleinman camp and stuff like that, the initial reporting is like, no, this hasn't changed their like line of thinking at all. But I don't know. I think there's just a better chance that he goes like, huh, if the Warriors are willing to offer me like a four-year deal or something like that, this was a good situation. Me coming back and a year uh, in two years now off an Achilles injury. Like there was a difference between like being able to go to the Knicks and kind of do the LeBron thing and be like, well, if that first year, no one else comes like at least going forward, we'll have a chance. And if I waste one year, who cares? Like now next year's gone and you're going to be coming back. And like, you don't know if you're going to be the same player anymore. So maybe right. you want to go to the, you want to stay in that more, more comfortable basketball situation now as opposed to the and you know you're kind of just trying to do the best thing for your career going forward as opposed to having all this kind of freedom to write your own narrative so I think that's that's it there's more of a possibility that happens but the interesting thing from the Warriors perspective is if they do that you really you can't get the whole band back together now because if you do that if you sign KD and Clay this offseason Draymond's probably you probably don't have room for Draymond 
the year after that, and you're not going to get all of them playing together next year. So you really can't. You kind of have to make the decision if if KD wants to resign and you're the Warriors. And I think it's an easy one. I think you would take KD even coming off an Achilles as opposed to Draymond. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty, and that's why I wasn't able to necessarily – articulate that all in the best way but i i think uh i think i kind of was able to hit on everything i wanted to hit on yeah and i think i think that's like the big theme overarching theme is that word uncertainty of this whole off season for a countless number of teams but especially the warriors in terms of um the range of possibilities of their future and especially with like i think I think there's two things here. I think a lot of things in the media have kind of underplayed uh, Clay Thompson's free agency. It's been, it seems like he's going to be coming back to the Warriors if they offer him a max deal, all that type of stuff. But it's, it's also kind of interesting how people have kind of written it like as solidly in ink in terms of him going back to the Warriors and he free to do what he wants to do and going to let's say the Lakers especially if they make like an intriguing offer all this type of stuff I don't know like I think that's where it gets really fascinating to see like what are the moves that the Warriors do um, and if it's enough to bring Clay Thompson back and then if KD comes back I think this is also underplayed as well in terms of like the seriousness of his Achilles injury. And I, I think a lot of people don't. And I think since medical technology has become so great in today's sports world, especially with guys coming back from ACL injuries after eight months and performing just like they, they were pre-injury, um, it kind of, cloud the seriousness of what an Achilles injury does for all these types of players that have had Achilles injuries um, in the past. I mean, if you look at DeMarcus, DeMarcus pre-injury to what he is now, like maybe that's a function of what he, I guess, what his role was on this Warriors team, but he didn't look like the same guy he was pre-injury. I mean, you look at, I think Dominique Wilkins had had a similar Achilles injury a long time ago. He was never the same player. So a lot of these guys that end up getting these Achilles injuries aren't the same players they were previous to what um, they, to their playing level. Yeah. And, And I think that's an un I think that's something that people are just kind of writing off because For like, sure. they want to just believe that Katie because of how great Katie is is as a player and how like people are confronted with the idea and the possibility that he might not ever reach the greatness that he has achieved thus far in his career and at such a young early age of like I think he's like twenty nine or thirty around that age, like where you should be hitting the cusp of your, um, of your prime and for that to be robbed and taken away from a player because of a a serious injury like this, it's kind of an unfortunate reality to, to confront. But I think it's something that people are going to have to 
to think about a little bit more to to have the idea that KD might not be the same player. And yeah, I think, um, and there that's where that word uncertainty really comes into play. Yeah, and uh, I think that yeah, and how that could theoretically reshape how he he thinks about things is kind of what I was trying to get at before. But uh, a thing I wanted to point out to, and bounce off to you. Uh, this is uh, a point I heard Nate Duncan make on his podcast, just in terms of the unfortunateness of the timing. Like he was, KD was about ready to become the like with LeBron James kind of getting older and older, and uh, this season especially starting to see like maybe the first signs of like wear and tear on him. Like we, KD was probably going to be like finally hit that point where he's like the number one guy in the league like obviously you have your Giannis's of the world and stuff like that but like he was pretty much ready to take over that mantle as being like kind of the premier super like the best player in the NBA basically um mm-hmm. and now he does it and you know that's why his free agency was so intriguing and like the idea of like, well, as he kind of enters that phase of his career and he has the chance to kind of go down all these different career paths, it was so fascinating. And now that's just more and more muddled. A point I wanted to make to you, and also what's so funny is Cousins, uh, yeah, you made a good point. I, I would just argue, I don't think it's, and I don't think you were trying to do this, by the way, I don't think it's really fair to say like he's not the same guy yet because I don't think he ever really got a chance to fully come back and having to simultaneously come back and integrate into that Warriors team where he was necessarily going to play a diminished role. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think I can call, call, call that like a lost cause yet. Not that, and he'd be an above average player anyway, but like, it'll be interesting to see where his free agency goes too. If KD walks, maybe he comes back right warriors you know what i mean and he would become a crucial piece you know what i mean you would really mm-hmm. want to have him if you're the warriors with clay thompson probably being out um until yeah. at least march or so but a point i wanted to make real quick to you as we consider and then maybe i don't know if there's anything left to maybe maybe we can like circle back to the toronto at the end you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, think we. Pro- I think right, right. That's but probably we want to talk about Anthony Davis and stuff like that. And I feel yeah. bad because I would have liked to talk a little bit more about the Raptors. So maybe we can do that at the end. But as mm-hmm. we start to shift towards like Anthony Davis and free agency, I wanted to make a point just about like with so much stability. I, I was thinking just about though these other kind of teams. Like I was thinking about the Rockets earlier. And if you're the like if you're uh, Daryl Morey, and you let's assume not that he did, but like let's assume he was kind of he leaked to Woj this stuff about Chris Paul and kind of blowing it up, right? Like with the idea that ah oh, I'm gonna blow it up. Like if you're Daryl Morey, aren't you kind of like I kind of wish I, I hadn't this? hit yep. the I kind of wish I hadn't hit the like set this thing in motion so soon because like actually now that I look around the NBA we're actually in pretty decent shape compared to a lot of these guys same yeah. thing if I'm like the Portland Trailblazers or if I'm uh the Milwaukee Bucks right now or something like that but although the Milwaukee Bucks do have pieces like I'm just kind of assuming the Bucks are going to re-sign all of their guys but you know the the 
there's kind of this underclass. And we always knew this would happen at some point that we've talked about this on the podcast ourselves multiple times of like this, when the Warriors thing finally ends, who's next, but there's kind of this end. There are all these, these people who are right you know, you know, the, the Blazers, for example, could get leapfrogged by, you know, the Clippers and the Lakers and what have you. But there are these kind of NBA B teams like the Nuggets too, for example, who kind of can go like, Hey, we're in, we're actually in pretty good shape. And like, if we, if a couple things change, like we're, uh, we're like, we could, and especially it kind of ties back to the idea of like the Raptors and making that big all and move for Kawhi, but like being like, Hey, if one thing breaks our way, uh, we, we could be the fucking NBA champions next year. So there's more of a gulf than there ever was before. You know, I feel like the steam over the last NBA, the last few NBA seasons, like from a broad top down armchair GM perspective has been like, when is it time to blow it up versus, you know, keep things together. And I feel like we're almost seeing a shift where it's like, you have a bunch of teams in boomer bust situations, and now you have some teams that like consistency actually maybe is a prized possession. Right, and I think that's where it becomes really interesting. I mean, I was frantically texting you um, post like Toronto winning the finals. I'm like, well, I think the Blazers actually have weirdly have a shot in this West because we just don't really know where the NBA offseason is going to go. And it seems like now more than ever, especially with next year, um, with Clay and KD being out and the uncertainty of their futures, we don't know like who the favorite really is. I think I asked you over text, like, who do you think is the favorite next year? And that kind of like, we're just throwing out names. Like I was, I, I even mentioned Philly, I think. Yeah. Um, I know I mentioned the Bucks. The Warriors at one point, although I it was before I knew Clay had torn his ACL. And good right. on you, kinesiologist Kev. Uh, you did a pretty good job of diagnosing that as it happened because I was like, oh well, he was like running and stuff, and he looked okay. And you were like, no, 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 Andrew, the ACL is all about the lateral movement, not the not the straight line speed. So you really got your exercise science degree. Like, you got to put it to work in these playoffs between, like, I, all the KD stuff, Clay. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else, but it feels like you really got, got to use your, your an, an analytical skills there. I feel like I, I went two for two on that. Especially yeah, no, you nailed it. Real, to, real time, I was like, eh, I don't know if that's an Achilles injury right away, especially the first KD injury. I was like, I think that looks more like a calf. And then the no. second – and then – and then the ACL tear for Clay, I was like, ooh, oh, I think he crazy. might have torn. Like, to have that KD story, and I didn't mean to cut you off, I we can't don't have time to really go down this rabbit hole. But just, like, it's so insane that that happened, isn't it? Like, there has to – at some point, are we going to get, like, the story of, like, the doctors involved in that? Because maybe it is an incredible – like, either it's the most incredible fluke ever or people really, really fucked up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I, it's, it's so incredible. To, like, the, the layers of all of this stuff is, is right. just really unbelievable. And I think I sent you a piece. I forget who, who the oh, writer yeah, yeah, was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget um, who it was. It was a really good piece. Yeah. But it was a piece basically kind of outlining 
um, like the idea of negligence of like the doctors on the Warriors and what their responsibility is to Kevin Durant and what Kevin Durant's like, I guess, decision-making process is throughout him trying to decide whether or not he wants to play or not to give it a go or not, yeah. despite him being injured, knowing the long-term risks and possibilities about whether or not he's going to be able to function at a level or whether or not he's going to be able to injure his cat any further. And I always found that statement whenever like the, the doctor was just like, yeah, you'll, you won't injure this injury any further. Like, there's always a possibility that something could go awry and like that one thing could affect something else. Yeah. You just don't, you just don't know. And I always, I was always like befuddled by that statement, especially with like the calf is pretty close to the, um, to the Achilles and all of those things work in conjunction together. So it's, it's kind of mind boggling to me that those things like, wouldn't be able to affect one of one another. But at the same time, I could also see how the injury that he did, um, that he had, um, that Katie eventually had was like, like a very, like, I don't know. Like, I can't really, it was just like one, like a one-off type of thing. It didn't, it's not like he broke down over time. It was just like that one incident. And like, that yeah, it's just that, the weird, the weird, uh, symmetry of like getting hurt and people thinking it's your Achilles but it's not and right. then actually like it's Bearing impossible for my even if it was the biggest fluke of all time it's it's impossible for my mind to like you know what I mean like there's a gap there that like my brain ha- is forced to fill in with like well someone must have fucked up and it'll be interesting to see if KD has played it like the right way, but in the after, like in the post Kawhi era, where like these medical processes can kind of impact the players, and you can you've seen more and more breakdowns between kind of players and teams' medical staff. Like, isn't it hard if you're KD to like go like to not feel like they have some culpability and like have that maybe affect your relationship with the team a little bit. Like it feels yeah. like that's only natural to some extent. Yeah. And I think that this, this was the narrative that I was going to push to kind of push back on your idea of him possibly resigning with them long-term. Yeah. That's was, definitely the other side of it was, was just kind of this idea of this Katie ultimately trust the Warriors and the front office and the medical staff and have his best interests at heart, especially with all the things that he ended up going through. And I mean, obviously we don't know the types of conversations that he had with that medical staff and whether or not he was given that right medical information for him to make a, a, I guess a mindful decision um, and a mindful informed decision for him to play. And that becomes the interesting factor for me when I think he makes his decision um, with free agency and whether or not he comes back with the Warriors. Does he ultimately trust the Warriors that they have his best interests at heart? And I think that really comes into question for him, especially if anything kind of went awry in some of the 
conversations that he had with the medical staff. So I think that's probably the other side of that. And yeah, it, it becomes really interesting. And I think for all the uncertainty we've been talking about, I think that is an issue that like there will be light shed on eventually. Because if he leaves, I think there's going to be kind of a good, I think there will be some good reporting into his motivations and we might get an answer to kind of what went down there. And obviously if he comes back, there will probably be some answers in that regard. Obviously, obvious one being, oh, well, obviously it wasn't such a big deal. But I think uh, I think we should try and pivot into something slow because we've been like lurking in the un the kind of murky waters. Well, I didn't want off season. Yeah, no, right. you have something and else. No, no, I didn't want to bring it up, but. Let's get into it. I because mean, something like, happened. Let's... The Anthony Davis trade, it's almost from an from two amateur NBA podcasters' perspective. Well, why don't I just throw it to you this way? So we'll start the Lakers finally traded for Anthony Davis. This has been like kind of almost like a running thread of just like NBA speculation for, for a long time and so many different things of, you know, we've talked about it in so many various ways and there's just – this weird full circle feeling to it because what ended up happening, basically the Lakers trading Lonzo ball, Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and three first round picks to, to the Pelicans. There's some pick swaps and extra pick swaps involved that we didn't necessarily know about uh, when it came down yesterday that I think are very intriguing, but uh, I wanted to get, and I think I know what you're going to say here, but why don't I just toss it back to you as as someone who talks about the NBA all the time and, you know, we have a good idea of like kind of these different narratives and stuff like that. What, what was your just gut reaction when, when it finally came down the pipeline? I just said, I just said to myself and I was, I was with our good friend, Chris Cardone as the deal went down and he breaks the news to me that Woj like Woj drops this bomb and I'm like, Holy shit. And I, and I was, that was my gut reaction. And it was like the fucking Lakers do it again. Like, and like, I just don't know like how it really happened. And in that, like, it's not, not even that the trade itself was like an unfair trade. I think value wise, like the Pelicans probably got as much as they could get out of Anthony Davis as they would have been able to get um, trade wise from pretty much any team. It's just more the fact that, like, the Lakers, like, probably a year and a half ago, we're just, like, circling circling around Anthony Davis, and we're like, yeah, we want him, and they eventually got him. And it seems to have ha- – it seems to happen with them. Like, the good fortune seems to happen throughout their, I, I guess, different eras of championship-winning teams. And that's where it becomes – extremely annoying (laughs) to like like and and I think that's kind of like I was just exasperated through when we were talking early or texting earlier yeah uh, I was surprised how it was just you were it was just uh, like looking at the laser side of things yeah yeah and I I just could not believe that it ended up happening again and uh, it, it was more just like I wish Gail Benson was kind of like the crotchety old woman that was just saying like, F the Lakers. I'm not trading yeah. him to them. Like I'm, I'll ship him anywhere else. Any of the 29 other teams besides the Lakers. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, I have a couple. You know, I need to do better at these podcasts. Like, I need to start writing down points <laughs> when you say things so I can actually address them in a clear manner. I had a few. You know, why don't I start with the Gail Benson thing, actually, and just instead of and go with what's in my head first instead of trying to circle back on everything. I think the way that kind of went down, one thing that that I thought, like one thing I thought not immediately, but after the fact when I considered the Gail Benson stuff, and I also, I think I read uh, Ramona Shelburne's piece about the trade uh, earlier, is like all the hostility, I think we maybe underestimate, like Gail Benson, maybe she did have some, you know, she was saying like, I don't want to trade him to the Lakers. But I bet a lot of that hostility was manufactured by Magic Johnson and Dell Demps. As mm-hmm. everyone knows, Kevin Wu is a Dell Demps protege. Um, <laughs> so I know you're going to hate me saying that. But, uh, like, I think maybe it's possible that just getting um, just getting some new blood in there, you know, why am I forgetting the name of the Pelicans? From, David Griffin, just getting David Griffin in there and kind of having him negotiate with Rob Polinka. I don't know how involved Polinka. Apparently, Del Demps didn't even want to talk to Polinka and would only talk to Magic. I think that was in the Ruana Shelbert piece. Mm-hmm. So it's important to realize there are two different people making the deal kind of right. now. So it's possible that just that change of personalities went some way in like removing dis- removing the kind of animus that had, that had clouded what happened at the trade deadline. But another thing I wanted to, and, you know, I think that's something that hasn't been talked about. And another thing that hasn't been talked about that I was thinking about just from a more meta NBA narrative perspective, with these big free agency things and these trade things, we're so used to, like, things kind of taking a left turn. You know, when it came to, like, Kawhi being traded, like Paul George being traded, the things that were thought of as, like, what's going to definitely happen didn't happen. Paul George going to the Lakers, Kawhi going to, you know, the Lakers or getting traded to certain teams. Like, they all took these left turns. Kawhi ended up going to Toronto. Paul George ended up going to OKC. And this Lakers thing, like, this AD Lakers thing, it it was like circling, circling, circling. And as someone who, like, just you know, pays a, who kind of tries to take stock of these things in my head. I was like, well, this AD thing is going to take a left turn at some point too. That's my last, when, when we did our lottery podcast and the Pelicans got Zion, uh, like, or got the rights to Zion. I was like, well, maybe he'll stay after all, because I'm kind of trying to think of that, that left turn things could take, but it didn't happen here. And as you said, like the Lakers now kind of with, First, going back to LeBron, and now, now AD, like, yeah, they basically get what they want. Mm. And I, and I think, like, even just like, like, I, I guess what I wanted to ask you too about this deal is what your thoughts are on um, both sides. Like, what do you think it means for both sides? Because I think for the Lakers to outline it, people are kind of talking all these Laker fans are talking about the championship, winning the title, especially with the injuries to, to repeat it again to Katie and to clay that there's a lot of uncertainty uh, going into next season. So we just don't know what's going to happen. And with that, and now that you have LeBron along with Anthony Davis, and if they're able to get a third piece in, in free agency, 
there's this idea that they're able to possibly win the NBA championship next year. And they were able to keep Kyle Kuzma, who was probably in the deadline trade deadline deal that was being floated out there by the Lakers was included within the deal with all those other players that eventually went to New Orleans. So I think that's like, I, 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 want, I wonder like what your thoughts are on that and then also what your thoughts are on the Pelican side of things because I think there was like this, like, and I was just kind of like reading Instagram comments and like Twitter yeah. comments too. And it, I thought it was fascinating that so many people were like, yes, I thought New Orleans, like New Orleans got what they could have gotten for Anthony Davis. But I was so surprised by how many pro Pelicans, like people were like, oh, they kind of, they basically, I don't know, they basically trade, like, won the trade over the Lakers. And, yeah, no, I thought and, that was really interesting, too, because some of, some of my friends were, were saying that, and I think they did. I agree I, I agree with you. Did you have more to say there? I didn't. No, no, no. Other, and cut you than, off. Yeah, other than that, I just thought, like, I was surprised that so many people thought the Pelicans won the yeah, trade. Yeah, I, I, I had friends saying to me, just, like, kind of more – casual NBA fans who will like kind of ask for my opinion or try and get Ben's takes off of. I had a lot of people saying like, well, the Pelicans definitely like when you're talking about like, I think this was a win-win trade at the end of the day. Um, probably, but a lot of people saying like the pet, like the Pelicans certainly, certainly won. And like the Lakers, well, they gave up everything and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think it can be both. Because I also, I'm, and now I, I just get overwhelmed with every take at once because I disagree with the idea that, like, now the Lakers are definitely going to win the title. I definitely disagree with that. But I also disagree with the idea that the Pelicans hit a home run, although I think it's possible that they got, like you said, I think it's possible to say they didn't, you know, it can be both things. Like, they didn't necessarily hit a home run, but they got the most they could get. The Boston thing, and I don't want to go off about the Boston thing. We talked like this is a conversation I just feel like we've had a million times. The idea of like what was on the table from Boston or what wasn't, I don't think we'll ever really know. Like just to give you an example, Ramona Shelburne's reporting on on the trade uh, in her piece today said that uh, Tatum was included in trade talks. And Mark Stein reported that Tatum, they didn't make Tatum available, which is why kind of the Pelicans went back to the to the Lakers. So it's possible that maybe the Celtics were like only willing to do like Tatum for AD straight up or like something like that, you know. So the idea of what else was on the table was out there. All of Woj's reporting kept saying like, oh, they want to do a three-teamer. They want to get an established pick, you know an established player, like a, an all, a current all-star and a possible future all-star. And I think uh, from the Pelican side, not to jump all over the place, the four pick, I think it's more likely than not that they flip that for someone kind of more established. I wouldn't be, that's why I was trying to float kind of potential trades to you early, earlier mm-hmm. to no avail. I was trying to get you as a, half Wizards fan to maybe part with Bradley Beal for four and Ingram or something like that. 
But uh, let's start from the Pelicans side, and then we can move to the Lakers. My rationale for kind of bucking the idea that the Pelicans, like, robbed the Lakers, like some of my friends were saying to me, is this. There is just no guaranteed all-star in the in this trade. Lonzo Ball is not a guaranteed all-star. He's a very unknown quality. Him and Drew will be a fascinating backcourt if, if it comes to fruition, like if there's no other intervening trade and will be really interesting. But there's just no guarantee that Ball is anything other than like maybe a like his floor, I guess, at this point, I would say is like low-end starter. But who knows if he gets beyond that or not. I'm not weighing in on it. You know, I don't have enough good player scouting sensibilities for me to, like, predict what will happen there. And the same thing with Ingram and Hart. Hart is a great piece for, for sure. And Ingram, who knows, it'll be fascinating, the possible fits with Zion. And, you know, we'll have time to kind of try and figure all of that out. But the point I'm trying to make is, like, this team basically is just becoming a younger – you know what I mean? Like, if you replace Zion with LeBron, you know what I mean? They're just kind of becoming a weirder version of the Lakers in some ways, although Drew is is a better secondary player than any of those – than LeBron had with, with that Lakers crew. But what I think is – so this is from Tim Bontemps. This is the Laker. This is the Pelicans Hall of Picks from from the Lakers in this trade. The number four pick, which as I mentioned, they could flip for something else. A mm-hmm. top eight protected pick in 2021, which becomes unprotected in 2022. Unprotected pick swap in 2023. And for anyone who may be listening and doesn't, a pick swap just means like if the Lakers finish, get the sixth pick, and the Pelicans get the 18th they have the right to swap six for 18. This happened famously in that, in those Sixers trades in the Hinky era. So unprotected pick swap in 2023, unprotected first in 2024 and unprotected swap in 2025. 2024 and 2025 are a long time from now. We do not know what that Laker team is. There is zero guarantee that that Laker team is going to be good in 2024 or 2025 from where I'm standing. So Uh I think underrated is the pick side of things and overrated is is the player acquisition side of things. Yeah. And I spent three more minutes than I needed to getting to that point, but, you know. No, and I totally agree with you. And I think that's where it becomes interesting, where maybe there's this narrative with big market teams that there's an overvaluing of their own players and their – that in some way be kind of like gets overhyped in trades. And then it's like what the Pelicans got players wise, isn't anything to write home about and something that I'm excited about at all mm-hmm. in terms of like Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, like, like you were saying, there's no guaranteed all-star there. So we don't know what that is, but the idea of the possibility of picks later on um, especially even I would say starting in 2023 um, is going to be interesting because LeBron's contract, I believe is up by 2022, I would say. Um, um, so that becomes fascinating in terms of, we have no idea what that team's going to look like at all. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the model that, 
Boston and unfortunately my Nets with Billy King kind of uh, ended up happening with them and all the picks and pick swaps that the Nets ended up giving up um, for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to join their team. That That's pretty much the outline of what David Griffin did there. And I think that's going to be something that's underrated that wasn't reported at first when the huge uh, trade announcement was made. And now when you dig deeper, then I could kind of see if you're making that argument of things, then I could see where maybe the Pelicans won the trade. Yeah. Um, but players wise now, like you obviously would want Anthony Davis yeah, over anything that, that, was given from um, the Lakers and, and moving on to the Lakers side of things. I think it becomes really fascinating to see like the, their third player, like there's all these rumors about Kyrie possibly going there. Yeah. And that that started to bubble up today. And I've been on the Kyrie to the Lakers train for a while. And I, I think as I consider it more and more, like if I were a betting man, I don't know what the odds are. And I, as a Nets fan, you probably don't like to hear me say this. I, no. I would probably bet on the Lakers right now if I were if I were betting on a Cope Kyrie destination. I don't think they're necessarily the favorites, but they're the team I would probably put my money on were I a betting man. Yeah, and I was gonna definitely ask you that and see because, like, I just think I mean, and we got and me and me, you and Chris were in a group <laughs> chat. And Zillow Chris kind of came through with came through for us and kind of gave us this tip that Kyrie ended up buying a home in South Orange and it possibly being a sign of things to come with him maybe going to Brooklyn or to New York um, for for next year and then there's all this talk about whether or not that home is indicative of his free agency move and. That definitely got me excited as a Nets fan. And then when this trade went down, my head was going in a million different directions. Mm-hmm. But then I was, my immediate thought was like, Kyrie's probably wanted to play with Anthony Davis. And I think it's been reported now um, and floated out there that he's really wanted to play with him. And for him to go back to LeBron, he already knows how to play with LeBron. And I don't know. I just think it would be like a weird move for him. Like it's definitely a winning move like for him in terms of that possibility of those three guys playing together They They would probably win a lot and maybe be close to favorites next year if that were to happen. But I just think it would be a weird narrative move in terms of like what the, the NBA like fan would think of Kyrie maybe going back kind of like with his tail between his legs, going back to LeBron and being like, yes, I need you to win basically. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I wanted to just say two things with that one. If there's any star in the NBA that I believe like would serious, you know, there's always like this idea of like, I was, I was thinking back to like Gordon Hayward's, agency or something like that where the narrative they're always reporting like there's always some report that comes out like they're truly conflicted about what to do you know what i mean but there's mm-hmm. always this sense that maybe there was a plan in place all along especially with lebron years it's always been that like where you get the sense there's this master plan and now the knicks and kd like there's kind of this idea if there's a 
Like, anyway, the point I was kind of trying to make was if there's a player that would, like, buy a house in one place but then not go there, it would be – like, or if there was a player to truly not know what he wanted to do and make the decision kind of impulsively, I would pick Kyrie. I just think he's such an enigmatic guy in that respect, and it's pretty hard to, like, suss out his motivation. And, you know, Kyrie's considered a guy who's maybe very – sensitive to the media and stuff like that. But I don't I don't think the rea- I kind of disagree with you on what and maybe you have your best color glasses on when you're making these maybe uh, just a little making bit. these <laughs> maybe kind just of prognostications. But I would kind of view it as I think it would be pretty easy to spin that move as like, well, you know, I I like basically as a maturity move, you know, going back to LeBron as a side of maturity, like, well, I've realized like what my best role is and like what I tried to, you know, go off on my own and, and do things. But now I've learned that like, I'm actually best when I, you know, do this and that, you know what I mean? Or like Mm -hmm. now I'm ready to be, you know, as LeBron gets older to, you know, take more of a leadership role and, you know, we can work together. Whereas like back then I was the young buck who couldn't be tamed kind of thing. So I don't know. Right. But whether it's, whether it's Kyrie or Kemba or, or, or what have you, I mean, the fact of the matter is LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I mean, is that the best combination of two players on the team in the NBA at this point? Uh, it's hard to tell because there's so much up in the air, but I yeah. would say probably. Pro- probably, yeah. Like, I'd probably have to agree with you there unless, I mean, unless KD's healthy, KD's Steph, you can yeah, kind of go yeah. there. Agreed. Then, it, but, it would probably, if, if KD went back to the Warriors, it would probably be KD's Steph, but, I mean, it's close. It, it's yeah. close, considering considering AD's youth especially. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so those two together, Kate, um, sorry, AD and um, LeBron, it it just it's just a good starting block for the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, like, the least. Yeah, and I was about to kind of make a a comment about is our is our segment over in terms of uh, bar rescue Lakers, especially with them accomplishing something like this. That was the point I was going to make, though, earlier, and I, I was trying to kind of keep things to the Pelican side. My answer to is the Bar Rescue Lakers after over is no. I don't think it necessarily is. I think there are a lot of interesting things to be seen as to, like, the meshing of personalities and stuff like that. We haven't learned that much about AD as, like, a guy, and throwing him into LeBron's vortex could be interesting. Like, you've seen, I don't, for the record also, I'm not predicting that, like, things will go badly by any means. I did see a good contrarian take on Twitter was, like, that this is Dwight Howard, Kobe, Uh 2.0. And I don't necessarily think that's true here. But I think it's important to realize that, like, we've learned over the years that, I mean, look at LeBron in Miami year one, like that these things do take time. And especially when the way the personalities can, can be involved. Like it's just no guarantee that talent always 
wins out. So I'm not – and given the Lakers' weird fetid structure and toxicness kind of over the years uh, – over the past few years, and a point I've hit at home over and over, it's like they've done nothing to make it better. I don't think we can underestimate at this point the the power of the Lakers to fuck things up, basically. Even bringing Kyrie in the mix in, in that best-case scenario, Jesus Christ, what a combination of personalities that is. I know. know that it- I mean, could you imagine? Like, AD it- is kind of like this idea of him as kind of this like passive guy, and I guess the question is like LeBron, you know, unless it goes incredibly well, when LeBron starts doing the fit in, don't fit out type, you know, Instagram uh, tweets, tweets yeah. shit, how would AD react to that combined with Kyrie, who has just shown himself to be such a piece of work, as my grandfather would say, maybe, uh-huh. you know, yeah. how, how that would all play out is is kind of interesting so uh, the idea is the basketball fit obviously it's an incredible start and I'm willing to say that they're a top three team in the west next year apropos of nothing like as it stands right now but uh I'm not ready to coronate them yet I guess is, is kind of the point I was trying to make yeah, and I'm I'm sure we'll be definitely breaking down doing like a preview of like the NBA free agency once free agency starts in a couple of days. Obviously, the draft is coming up next week, which is kind of absolutely crazy and mind-boggling that some it it that's happening so close to the end of the finals. It basically kind of shows that this doesn't stop. The NBA yeah. doesn't stop at all and we're on this running treadmill forever basically at least until august or so i would say and then things kind of slow down and die down a little bit but i mean there's so much that that's going to be happening this particularly this nba offseason with all this free agency news and then the added layer of the injuries and all that type of stuff that are going to be talked to death about but i think what i like overall, when I'm looking at this deal between the Pelicans and the Lakers, it just what it shows to me is that like the Lakers ultimately got what they wanted out yeah. of out of all of the hoopla, um, all of the Magic Johnson stuff that ended up happening. They ultimately got Anthony Davis, and that's what they wanted probably a year ago and that's pretty much all that really matters and for at least for them and LeBron's going to be happy that he has a a player and a partner to play with and basically his move to LA has been vindicated because he was able to get a second star to come play with him and then on the Pelican side of things it sucks to be a small market team I, I mean it just like like all the stuff that was drummed up and then we were also talking and, and a side piece to this story is like you sent me that Rich Paul story. Yeah, we didn't even mention and, Rich Paul. I was about to jump back and say the thing about the Lakers getting what they want, it is important to realize that there is a it's we we can't tell for sure, but the fact that there was at least some level of Rich Paul involved, you know what I mean? That they didn't get what they wanted in a vacuum. They got what they wanted because this is what other people wanted. 
So mm-hmm. and we're we're actively working to make happen, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and what did you make of that Rich Paul piece though? Did you have any kind of did it did you learn anything about this do you does it change the way you perceive all of this at all or was it kind of just like a a confirmation of everything you thought? I mean, I think it was a bit of both. I thought the the details of everything were very interesting in terms of how everything works. But I think at the end of the day, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, like we pretty much it's not like we pretty much knew everything what was going down. But it's kind of like, oh, that stuff happens in the NBA. Yeah, Um, I think that's kind of like the the known unknown of the NBA of like, yeah, shit happens and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it was just like some of the details within the story were fascinating, I thought. And that's where I thought it was, it was a great piece to kind of read and kind of like read over and be like, huh, that's going on. Like what were some, well, I I thought, uh, I thought it cast an interesting light on the player empowerment stuff like it's not something Mm -hmm. we've gotten into very much on this podcast but that you hear other people talking about the idea of like has player empowerment gone too far you know something like honestly actually i was i was eating dinner with my mom and dad uh last night and i brought up the anthony davis trader they mentioned it to me and i was just kind of like getting there i was just like do you know who anthony davis is and blah 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 and my parents were kind of my dad was just he said something about just like kind of like the, noting that over the past few years he feels he's he's noticed in the NBA players kind of being able to control their own destiny and uh, and he just mentioned this idea of players being more powerful than the owners which I don't think is an uncommon thought as it pertains to the NBA and something we we thought of and something you know that gets talked about on you know Bill Simmons and blah 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 but what I thought the Rich Paul thing illuminated was that they're like you reading about kind of how rich paul and and lebron became friends and and they, and you know how important lebron is in shifting these power structures and just this general idea of like i don't know whether it's agents or or what have you the idea of saying like well instead of turning this kind of grand idea, it was interesting that I'm just trying to figure out how to paraphrase it in the best way because there are good Draymond Green quotes in the piece about it too, saying like this kind of great awakening of like, oh, we don't have to like have fucking like white businessmen who are looking out for themselves be our agents. Like we don't have to like be at the whim of like these long contracts. We don't have to, you know, there's just more and more of this, this kind of, ideology creeping in and i it's, i think overall uh, a, a good thing and i'd rather the nba be dictated by the players and i would rather have more uh people you know i'd rather have less elitism this is another thing that actually came up uh i don't know if you read that jalen rose new yorker piece in the backlash to it too i thought it was fairly fascinating about this idea of analytics and like why players might have backlashes to analytics and some of it maybe being driven from a place of like you know it being this kind of elitist thing that like uh, having kind of these Harvard educated nerds running things as opposed and kind of like having 
the fates of these players in their hands. But anyway, I thought the Rich Paul piece was interesting from a political perspective because as much as they're interfere, you know, there's their interference, and like you said, it illuminates that this stuff happens. Uh, it, it's yeah. still a relatively novel thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally agree with all that. And, like, it, it just kind of shows, like, how much, like, of a political game kind of all of this is. and like No, yeah, moved, there's intrigue. I mean, yeah, it's, you're it's, moving that's what it's about. And all this type of stuff. And, like, you're, pl- you're playing this pawn over here. You're playing – and you're making moves to ultimately make the big, big move. Um, I think that's what kind of, like, the story pointed towards. Um yeah, and it, I, I thought it was fascinating. And then overall, it kind of, like, what... And I think you did a great job of, like, kind of tra- this transition of what this specific trade points out in terms of the larger ecosystem of the NBA as to how it points to player empowerment um, in, ter- in, in, their, in their ways to move about the, where they want to go. Um, yeah, in the NBA, and ultimately, Anthony Davis got what he wanted by kind of airing his dirty kind of laundry yeah, or worked. whatever, like you know, in and the there open. was and yeah, and it and worked. Listen, you look back, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to kind of tie this point in too. I think Zach Lowe. I, I'm trying to think. There's just been so many goddamn pieces written. I don't know if it's Woj or Shelburne or Zach Lowe, but this idea of like. No, it was in the Rich Paul piece. Like, you know, back when we were talking about, like, Anthony Davis getting booed at, like, the home games and, like, them having to play him and all of this awkwardness and stuff like that. Like, it worked out at the, in the end, and I think that's important to, to realize. And I wonder if that – the next – whoever the next version of Anthony Davis is, like, if, this, if, if things continue in this way and, like – the players being with, willing to take further and further kind of gambles to to get what they want, basically, it will be an interesting thing to, to keep track of as yeah. we think about kind of the structure of the NBA and how it operates on the whole. Yeah, and I and that's what I totally kind of like. I that's like what my the mind was going in terms of who's the next guy that's going to possibly try to pull this off. Um, Because like when an agent and the player ends up seeing what went down with Anthony Davis, I think it kind of plants a seed in their minds of, Oh, we can do this too. And we'll get our way in terms of being able to move because of this ticking time bomb, time bomb of not losing the value of the asset and being able to extract something for um, Anthony Davis, for example, in this, in this trade. So, and in this situation. So I think it's kind of like another example in this bigger movement of player empowerment and being able to kind of choose the destinations as to where they want to go. And I think even ultimately when you do look at the Paul Georges of the world and Kawhi Leonard's, while they might not have gotten their ultimate, like, dream, dream destination, 
Paul George ultimately made the decision that he wanted to stay in OKC over going to LA yeah. when he when he had the decision to make it. Who knows what Kawhi's going to do, but it worked out pretty sp- spectacularly for him uh, to cap off this year in winning the NBA championship with Toronto. And regardless of where Kawhi goes, like Toronto's indebted to Kawhi and what he did for that city and for Canada as a whole. And, yeah. And, and I think that's where, like it, I think that's where his free agency gets intriguing as well. And, and I think, why don't we wrap up with the Raptors, especially with them being the new NBA champions. And this is kind of why we follow the NBA kind of to like get to this moment and of like getting to the mountaintop of, winning a championship and being able to talk about how those, how this team ended up getting there. And it's just incredible from one year ago, last uh, from one year ago today, it's like kind of crazy that this team is what this team is, especially with DeMar DeRozan being shipped off for Kawhi. Kawhi is kind of coming in not being non-committal about his future and still being non-committal, not really, you know, there was that awkward kind of situation with Doris Burke asking him um, on this, on the stage when they're about to like pop the champagne, celebrate and their championship. She was like, so, and for next year, what are you going to be doing? Basically? I was joking and, with my brother. Wouldn't it have been incredible if he was like, I'm fucking leaving. Yeah. Like, he took, like, an incredible heel. Like, what did you... Just the heel turn, yeah. It's a question you have to ask, but, like, it's kind of, like, that stupid, like, what's gonna... And I have to say, I love Doris Burke, but they were, like, she asked everyone, like, something like that. Like, I don't... Do we have to ask them right away? Like, Lowry, you have to be asked about DeRozan right away. Like, Marcus all being yeah. asked about the Grizzlies, like... You're, what answer, like, I don't blame her, but it's kind of her job to ask that, but you're not going to get anything interesting in that moment. You're more likely to get an interesting response to that, like, in that, like, for example, like in that Rachel Nichols interview later on or something, you know, when they've had maybe a second to fucking process it and enjoy winning. Yeah, no, I was totally... Do you have to barge in their face right away with that? Like, just even in the verse, in the, on the idea of getting an interesting answer, I just don't think you're likely to get it in that situation. Yeah, I, and I was joking with my friends because obviously the big thing for the Asian American community was it's that Jeremy, Jeremy Lin obviously winning uh, his first NBA championship. For it's all a shame he couldn't get some. You were very upset about him not getting the. You were pretty incredulous when McCall got some run and Jeremy Lin didn't. But uh, yeah, I was like, come on, please, Nick Nurse. But um, <laughs> but anyway, he's still an NBA champion. But um, I was just joking with my friends. Like, I wonder if they're gonna ask uh, Jeremy Lin about Carmelo and whether or not like <laughs> like. He, he can call himself an NBA champion and what, what he feels about Carmelo. But anyways, besides that, it was just like, I, and I think this narrative has been kind of talked about and written about by all the other NBA guys, but it's, does it, does the way the Raptors ended up constructing this team and winning the NBA championship change the way that other teams 
think about constructing their teams and being able to take more chances and risks um, for just going after it for basically one year being like, all right, this is our shot. Let's just push all our chips in the middle of the table and see where we can uh, go with this team. Because when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard or a player like of that ilk, he can carry us to greater and greater heights. But I don't know how many players are out there where you can kind of do that. And there's just a lot of good moves that Masai Ujiri ended up making throughout this year. Like, we talk about the Kawhi trade, but then the Marcus All trade to be able to yep. make that deal with all the pieces that they gave up with Jonas Valanciunas and then um, DeLon Wright they ended up giving up. And then being able to develop guys like Fred Van Vliet, um, who is an undrafted free agent, um, and be able to develop him over the course of a couple of years and for him to be a key role player in the, in the finals, it just kind of, it just shows how, and I think we've harped upon this a lot on this podcast, that one while one move isn't everything, one move can affect the way you do business down the road. And that's where, and that's where I think yeah. Toronto kind of like really did a great job of utilizing what they were given and then be able to kind of, um, kind of turn it into this magical season that ended in a championship. And it, and I, I think like, I think Zach Lowe ended up kind of going through all the pieces and like how they were acquired to get to this stage that they were at. And so I go, I'd recommend that reading that piece for anyone that is kind of interested in seeing like what it took to get those guys on the, on the team that were in the rotation playing minutes for this team and how they got to Toronto and what moves Toronto had to make to be able to get that team to get together. Yeah, um, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, and I, I was about to mention the Zach Lowe piece. I think it's a great piece in kind of beginning to answer some of these questions. And I think one thing it points out, as to your question about, like, basically the idea of, like, well, should every team do this if they get the opportunity? The thing about Toronto that I think is important to remember as we – think about these situations going forward is Toronto was in the perfect chance to do this because they didn't have to mortgage their future necessarily to go for Kawhi or they did, but they were okay with it. They could say, we're going to acquire Kawhi Leonard. And if he leaves next year, we will still have a good plan. You know what I mean? We're not hemorrhaging our future. We're not hemorrhaging a lot of future draft assets we're willing to rebuild and kind of maybe tear it down if Kawhi leaves. And not every team could do that. You know, if the Blazers or whoever had traded for Kawhi Leonard, you probably would be in, you know what I mean? Depending on how, and it echoes something you said, depending on how well your team is run and what your asset chest looks like and what your cap situation looks like going forward, you know, you have to kind of incur more risk in terms of, like, if things break the wrong way, how is this affecting you years later? You know what I mean? So I don't think every team will be able to do this necessarily because I just don't think every team is going to have the 
the flexibility that the Raptors had in this situation. Another point I wanted to make uh, was for all of my talk about player empowerment earlier, the Raptors and you mentioned OKC and Paul George show kind of a flip side to that in some ways, like from the team perspective, like you can acquire an unhappy player or a player who doesn't necessarily want to be on your team and make it work, you know? Right. Totally. That it were at the end of the day, these are human beings. You know what I mean? Things can change like desires and, you know, human relationships and stuff. They, they can kind of affect these things and, and winning kind of can, can I think affect these things too. So, uh, you know, that's kind of all I have to say on like, how does this affect things going forward? Maybe I wanted to ask you a question as we kind of, I mean, first, uh, you know, another thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned Van Vliet, also getting Siakam. I think he was picked at 24. Right. And like, he was... that's such a crucial move. And yep. that's, a, end up, that's a drafting choice. You know what I mean? Nothing to really do with cap space or maneuvering or any uh, trades, free agency. That's just picking a good guy in the draft. You know? Totally. Yeah. And it goes back to, like, think about Lowry and their acquiring of him, you know. When he came to Toronto, he wasn't necessarily looked at. He's really an – I'm glad that I just want to take a brief aside. I'm really glad to watch him get a ring. He's really, to me, one of the more fascinating players in the NBA in terms of his skill set, in terms of his personality, in terms of kind of just, like, the weird role he occupies as kind of this, like, fragile NBA guy who's, like – never fully gotten a lot of love and has kind of these interesting strengths and flaws in his game. I'm just happy that he was able to, I'm I like DeMar DeRozan also, but I just think Lowry is a really interesting, interesting guy. And uh, I'm happy to watch him get a ring, but uh, you know, it's, it's, although it's easy. And I think this is kind of something you were getting towards too. And just something I wanted to echo, although it's easy to, be like point to the Kawhi thing. It's important to realize all the other small things that kind of build up to these championships. And with that, I wanted to ask you a question um, as we think, because I wanted to give the Raptors, you know, I kind of want to do that Kyle Arias side to give the Raptors their due before we turn things again towards the future. I think Kawhi's going to say, I, I said this to you mm-hmm. earlier, just because of the unprecedented. I, I just think it's insane. The idea, like, See, I, it's on one of those things again where my brain just isn't allowing me to think it will happen. The idea of someone getting traded to a team, winning, and my dad—I was talking about this actually with my dad—and he was like, "It happens in baseball, you know, fairly often, but it's never really happened in basketball. Like That's someone true. getting traded to a team and winning a championship with that team and then leaving right away—it just seems fairly um, un, unprecedented to me, and that's why I just have to bet on on." even though it's certainly possible that he leaves. I wanted to pose this question to you. If he leaves, does he, does he still get a statue? Yeah. He, I, I think mean, so, don't, too. Don't you just build the statue? Like, he gets the statue. <laughs> Marcus Gasol gets one. Jer- build one for Jeremy. Jeremy Lin gets one? Yeah. I mean, at, like, Toronto is – like, you saw the fans, like, when – during the wide shots of, like, Jurassic Park um, outside their stadium like it was insane out there and like you would see like and I thought it was really cool 
to like kind of see all over Canada cheering for this one basketball team because they only have one basketball team and for them to come all together to root for this one team was just really kind of cool. It it reminded me of like when they show uh, fans um, during the World Cup and you see like all the U.S. fans rooting for the U.S. national team and rooting them on. You kind of it, it kind of had that feel going on um, when you when they showed all those crowds playing. And it just made me think, like, if you're Kawhi Leonard, why would you want to leave that? Like, I don't – maybe he's just, like, a different wired type of human being compared to me. Uh, but, he certainly is. I mean, we yeah. haven't even talked about Boardman gets paid on this podcast. Right. I know. Yeah, so, oh, you know. yeah. That, that's, like, another thing. And – and that just shows how much NBA stuff there is and, and it happens yeah. in the span of, like, two weeks. But it's, like, it's so hard for me to even fathom that he would leave after having such a good thing going on with Toronto. Um, but, I mean, Toronto has some interesting moves to make. I think he become, he's a free agent. I believe Gasol is a free agent. Um, well, I think Gasol has an option that he can right, right. pick up so or decline. But it's, I think it's been the idea is that he'll decline it. But yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot of uncertainty with what Toronto's going to be dealing with too. So it, that word is popping up everywhere for every situation going on <laughs> in the league, and it makes like, it hard for us to talk about it. Right. It's stuff, kind of, but the fact of the matter is that that's what what it is. Right, and I think we'll break it down in a future podcast where we'll probably give, like, we'll probably throw out a free agent name, talk about their situation, yeah. and then give our predictions slash, like, give our, like, what we think is going to happen and then what we, reali- like, what we realistically, or what we want to happen and what we realistically think is going to happen for the player, I think could be kind of, like, an interesting a future episode of Yeah, I think we, we should do that. Maybe we'll do something like, maybe we'll do something, because we don't have, I don't think, a lot of huge draft thoughts. Maybe we'll do something post-draft and, like, pre-free agency kind of thing. Right, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline. All I wanted to say is congratulations, Canada. Congratulations, yes. Drake. Um, you know, <laughs> Sham- Champagne Poppy was very happy. Uh, I thought the I thought the conversation between him and Curry, uh, like over cell phone. You, I don't know if you saw that clip. No, I didn't. Uh, I actually don't even really know what you're talking about. So so Curry post game six as he's like walking out of like the locker room area, or, and like I think like walking out of the stadium is on the on a speakerphone call with Drake, and he's basically like, man congratulations on that basically acting like drake was on like toronto's like eight-man rotation (laughs) and like congratulating him as he's like as if he played the game and yeah that's pretty so it was really funny kind of just listening to their conversation and like you know i think like you would think like curry would not want to talk to people and because he just lost the finals game, but he didn't seem like as upset as I thought he would be. It was more yeah. just like of a, a good natured ribbing between like two friends basically. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty fascinating to kind of see that dynamic. 
But anyways, like congratulations to Drake. You get your you get your championship. I mean, you'll definitely be giving Nick Nurse massages for the rest of his life. Nick Nurse is should we buy NN hats? Like that would be kind of a fun oh, Lord. bit, yeah. I feel like to I, I celebrate. Feel, yeah, I I think that's gonna definitely be coming down uh <laughs> in the pipeline. We'll definitely have our orders in for uh NN hats. Um for sure. Hopefully we were able to find them online somewhere. And like overall, it it was a fun NBA season. And I think this is one of the narratives that I ended up like maybe to kind of end the podcast mm-hmm. uh, and to leave the listeners with a thought is that like one of the things that I ended up saying to you um, before the podcast and between our conversations was that Ultimately, I think that the Raptors winning this series is a great thing for the NBA because of all of the uncertainty and unpredictability that it gives the NBA season. And I think that was like the one, I would say, even fair criticism that a lot of non-NBA fans that Mm -hmm. were my, that were friends of mine would kind of throw back to me and would say, oh, I love college basketball, I love college football, and all this type, or mostly college basketball, but fans would be like, well, the NBA, like, you already know the Warriors are going to win and all this type of stuff. And you kind of see right here that Toronto, I I doubt was even a top three candidate to possibly win the NBA Finals preseason um, so it, there was somewhat of a dark horse in terms of them coming out of nowhere to win an NBA finals. I would say they were on that second tier and usually second tier teams, um, title contending teams never really get out of the box and win an NBA championship. It's usually one of the top two teams, uh, that we really think of, especially coming out of like the Cleveland versus, um, Golden State teams or the LeBron versus, you know, LeBron and then San Antonio before then. Um, like, this is probably the first title winning team since the Dallas team in 2011 with Dirk that was truly surprising, I would yeah. say. No, that's um, a great point. And then going further back, Detroit Pistons in 04, that was another surprise, I would say, somewhat surprising win over LA so like I think it gives a a ton of intrigue to potential NBA fans saying hey there's an interesting product here that people want you know people should be drawn towards no Um, and yeah and not to not to hit on the same points we've been hitting over and over but to draw back to uncertainty uh and as i as you were talking about that i was thinking about now we're going on because i think our first podcast we did was pre-draft uh last year was it not yeah so we're we're talking about so this is close to a, a year yeah. So I was thinking, yeah, as we, I was almost feeling not emotional, but kind of reflecting on all of kind of, we spent this whole end, like our first NBA season podcast saying, you know, as it comes to a close, I'm looking ahead thinking like, 
you know, it's funny because I was just like, when we did like say our preview for this season, I think the thrust of it was, you know, the Warriors are going to win, but you know, we love kind of having to make that case of like the Warriors are going to win, but there's going to be so much fun along the way. Um, and that's kind of how you had to, how you had to kind of think of the NBA in some ways. That's not going to be the case going forward at all. NBA, as long as I've been a fan of it, has never been this like wide open. You know what I mean? Like we're entering, like we're really kind of like it feels like between eras in some way. Mm-hmm. Like we've kind as for all of I didn't say I wanted to put the Warriors era to bed necessarily yet, but it does feel like we're in like the end, and it always happens this way in sports. Like things change earlier, I feel like, than you expect them to, usually, when it comes to these things. Not always, like, you think of maybe the past or something like that, but when it comes to a player or whatever, it always, it never quite ends when you expect it to, I feel like, and we really are at that point where, like, when you look forward, there's so much, there's so much to be excited about, and really, it does feel like anything could happen, and that's such a drastic shift the way things were before and i'm you know uh excited to uh explore that new frontier that new i don't know why i said frontier but i'm excited to you know keep podcasting uh as and you know break it all down with you going forward one thing happens sooner than we thought it would you know it's kind of good in a way i think that the ad domino is out of the way because there almost could have been i think this podcast almost exemplified it. It's hard to almost try and attack every single thing when there's so much up in the air. So it's Mm -hmm. almost good to have one block down so we can kind of take free agency with some kind of like at least baseline foundation in place. Um, But uh, I'm, I'm excited for, for what's going to, as you say, I'm excited for all the craziness that's to come and uh, uh, breaking it down will be fun. Yeah, and that's I I feel like that's I have nothing more to say. That's a perfect way to cap it off. And there's I mean, what a great NBA season and congratulations to the Toronto Raptors and let the craziness begin because there's gonna be a lot of it. So thanks Andrew for coming back on to the podcast to always, you know, talk to me about NBA craziness and NBA news. So um I can't wait for season number two together um, as we break down season number two uh, this next upcoming year. So that, I mean, what more can we ask for? So thanks again for coming on. Um, And for all the listeners that have kind of, you know, traversed with us through, through this first year of the podcast, because I, I was looking at the dates recently um, we just passed a year on, I think it was June 1st. That was when I posted the first podcast. It's been an incredible journey to be able to kind of like be on this podcast ride with everyone. And Quite wild, a sports year for you too. You know what I, I mean? Know. All there's, around. There's been a lot of stuff that's kind of happened. So um, it's been fun. Like we've talked about the World Cup. We've talked about the NBA. We've talked about the Premier League. we I mean, I was breaking down football with my brother. So it's been really great to kind of connect with different people through sports and um, just kind of understand, like, how important sports is to me. And then also, 
like some of the episodes that were a couple of my favorites was just talking with my brother about his fencing career, like interviewing him about that, and then talking to my close friends that were athletes in college um, and kind of getting their process down and interviewing them about all those things. It was just like an incredible, incredible time to kind of talk to them so personally about something that we hadn't previously talked about before. So it, it's just, been an incredible year with that and i just hope to keep cranking them out and and i'll be continuing to do that so thanks again guys for listening and if you guys haven't subscribed yet please do and like the podcast rated on itunes all that type of stuff so thanks again and i look forward to we'll be talking about free agencies nba draft probably next week or so so um definitely look forward to that and then we'll talk about and i'm supposed to get hedging back on long lost hedging back on to talk about soccer stuff so um we'll definitely be breaking down all of the premier league type of moves that'll be happening so thanks again guys and uh be on the lookout for all of that I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough